Today I'm in calling the state's three-year transportation plan. For a state with a small population, Maine has a lot of transportation infrastructure to maintain. Roads, bridges, ports, ferries, bike lanes, train tracks, airports, the list goes on. The Maine Department of Transportation is constantly having to balance needs with limited funding. But right now, MDOT is receiving an historic infusion of money from the federal bipartisan infrastructure law. That funding boosts MDOT's three-year plan. I'm Jennifer Rooks. Today on Maine Calling, our guest is MDOT Commissioner Bruce Van Note. He'll tell us about the plan, the priorities it reflects, and opportunities to prepare Maine's transportation infrastructure for the future. We'll also get an update on repairs from recent storms. Maine Calling is just ahead. Maine Calling on Demand is made possible by Maine Seacoast Mission, strengthening Maine's coastal and island communities through education, health, and support. Learn more at seacoastmission.org. And by Maine Farmland Trust, working with farmers to grow the future of farming and food in Maine. Learn how you can get involved at mainefarmlandtrust.org learn. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and this is Maine Calling. The recent storms damaged roads and structures in many communities. We're going to find out about road repairs that are underway, but we're also going to learn about the far-reaching plans for Maine's transportation and infrastructure systems, because joining me today, Maine's Department of Transportation Commissioner Bruce Van Note. We invite you to join the conversation, talk about... Um, questions you have about transportation, ideas you have, what project are you looking forward to seeing come to fruition? You can send us an email, talk at mainpublic.org, post a comment on Facebook or Instagram, or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. Commissioner Van Note, welcome back to Maine Calling. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity, Jennifer. I always like Talking transportation in Maine. <laughs> well, you know, we planned this program before we had those big storms, and we had planned it all along to talk about the three-year transportation plan, and we will get to that in just a minute. But I do want to ask you for an update. What can you tell us about um, the major roads that were so badly damaged by these flooding events? Well, um, obviously, we had two different. We had the December eighteenth storm, and uh, that was mostly a western mountain storm, and uh, I'm pleased to report all but two, I believe. At the peak of the storm, we had over close to 100 closures um, of various types. Has that ever happened um, before? I, we're, we're trying to, we're very careful. We don't think so. We think that's the most closures um, that we've seen in uh, at one time, but we're, all, we're hesitant. You know, the, um, we always want to do the Engineers always want to do the math, so we always want to go back and make sure and, and check. But it uh, certainly in my career, um, I started with DOT originally in '94, so since that period, I know we haven't had that many. And so um, that was just, you know, managing the immediate, and then uh, within a week or so, um, the water had gone down and that does two things. It opens up a lot of roads just because of water, but then it gives you the ability to inspect bridges and get underneath. 
And uh, we got into like 15 closures that we're working on. I think we're down to two as of today. Um, they're not all perfect yet because paving doesn't generally happen in the winter. But, uh, you know, we had major routes, 26 up in Newry just was, we have drone footage online of that and just the road's gone. I mean, it was just, it was all undermined. And so um, our crews were, our crews were great. I mean, um, when things get the worst, you know, we run towards the stuff, you know, kind of thing. And uh, so they, our maintenance crews were working right from the get-go, but also our contracting partners, uh, we within less than just in a few days, we were able to get federal approvals and get contractors out there rebuilding those. So um, we did not lose any bridge. Now that's, people would think what happened was the approaches to the bridge washed away. So the bridge was closed, but that's a very big deal because that allows us just bringing back in dirt and riprap allows you to get that open. If the bridge had gone, we'd be talking about a much more extended thing. I expect it'll all be open uh, by mid February. Wow. And then, and then January, uh, similar feel, but entirely different with the astronomic high tides. That was a coastal event and just up and down the coast ravaged all kinds of uh, infrastructure, both transportation and, you know, wharves and piers and, and, and that. Um, so a lot of damage there that isn't strictly kind of DOT jurisdiction kind of stuff, but, um, you know, that's going to be an ongoing uh, challenge. All the major roads are, you know, reopened that we had down by Acadia. We had, you know, just boulders up on the road and stuff. So we found ourselves removing boulders and plowing rocks. That's not something you do every day. Um, and again, it was just a all hands kind of response to that. And the fixes to that will, will definitely be ongoing. I mean, um, I think basic transportation, no one's landlocked, you know, we didn't lose the causeway going down to Deer Isle or anything, but it was underwater. And, uh, so, uh, there'll be a longer term thing of planning. How do we, you know, adapt and make it more resilient next time something like this happens. So, mm. All in all, um, we're we're on the mend. When you talk about this, you talked about DOT personnel um, being um, deployed, but also contractors. Uh, another conversation we have over and over on Maine Calling, Bruce uh, talks about the workforce shortage in Maine. Do you have enough people to respond to these events? I mean, how 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 are you doing it? Well, we are short. Uh, uh, normally, we have we're short plow drivers and um but that's true across all the injuries as as you say it's a little better now than it was a year ago uh i think things are settling and normalizing a little bit uh wages have gone up uh it is by the way anybody interested we're always hiring um uh it is uh we have it's a challenge but i think we have some certain advantages um what we do um, at DOT affects every main person every day. And it's no question if you want to make the 
the quick and highest dollar and some, maybe sometimes get laid off someplace. Maybe there's other places you, you want to go. But if you want to do something that's meaningful and helps make Maine a better place, um, most of the jobs at Maine DOT, AI is never going to affect them. I don't know how AI can affect, uh, you know, um, rebuilding roads, bridges and uh, piers and wharves and other stuff. So um, we're settling. And uh, I think in AGC, uh, Associated General Contractors will tell you that uh, the construction workforce is now to pre-pandemic levels back to that. Um, but uh, there's actually a little bit more work to go around. So um, attracting good teammates is going to be um, one of the challenges we continue to work on in the in the years ahead. Let's turn to the topic at hand, which is the three-year work plan just released this past month. And wondering if you can give us an overview, Commissioner. Um, you have an an infusion of money from the federal government, which is significant. We've talked about on this program before that Maine has to do a lot of, you call it MacGyver work, often just patching and doing your best with what you have. Is this a game changer? Does this money make it so that there can be some real significant change to prepare for the future? If these funding levels continue, yes, the answer to your question is yes. And so we, we are pivoting. I mean, um, I once, it was just four years ago that we released a work plan and um, as sobering as it sounded, had to be straightforward and uh, said at that time in 2020, the fiscal reality is that we are now competently managing a slow decline of our transportation system until bipartisan funding solutions materialize. Now that was before the federal bill of November 21 and that was before the state uh, kind of stepped up with reliable funding. The state always has stepped up one way or the other, generally through bond issues that um, kind of happen outside the normal budget process are less reliable. You don't know when you have them. And even after the vote by the legislature, you generally have to wait, you know, a year or 18 months before you see the money because of the voting and the selling. So um, it's just less reliable. So I, I always thank uh, that, you know, the citizens out there who vote for those, because the vast majority, you know, they, they pass pretty strongly. But what changed was in November of 21, they passed the bipartisan infrastructure law and uh, did a couple things. One, our formula funds, which is kind of like our paycheck. Think of it as your paycheck at home. You can rely on it. It's coming. Um, that did go up 30 percent. And that's nothing to sneeze at. And it came at a great time. Unfortunately, our cost had already gone up 50% in the last few years before that. So it was kind of just making do. The big change was the dramatic expansion of discretionary grant programs where you literally apply. Just We think it was like a big term paper and you explain why it's a good thing and you submit it to an agency and you compete against other states and you see if you get it. And uh, it's not 100% reliable um, at all. It's very, very competitive. It's always oversubscribed. But Maine has a good history, punching above its weight. And the effect of that, of that bill, was that federal money coming to Maine um, since pre-bill to now more than doubled. So 
that's very good news. It's it's a lot of work to get it, but to the travelers, they don't care about that so much. It's just you got more. And so that so, happened and then sorry, go ahead. Just to be clear, I just want to make it clear it was the bipartisan infrastructure law that created the discretionary grant funding and now Maine has twice as much money coming in to help with projects. Uh, in straight straight dollar, yeah. And it mostly it's the expansion of those discretionary grant programs. And we we saw that coming. And so even before it was passed, we started, you know, changing our staff around and I have we got grant writers at DOT, you know, um, and a bunch of relationships with grant writers um, to try to go after that. And we have great support from our congressional delegation and the two do help. Um, so there's that on the federal level. And then last year on the state level, um, there had been blue ribbon commissions talking about what you should do um, for transportation funding. It had been long been discussed. But one of the ideas in that was actually implemented last year, uh, where a portion of the automotive sales tax, sales tax at car dealers and when you buy a car, um, was actually dedicated to the highway fund. And that provided um, not so much more money, but money you can rely on. It, it turned a bonus that you might get every year, but you're not sure if you're getting to kind of more like paycheck. And in the transportation business, you need that reliable money because we do a three-year work plan. We look out, we actually plan beyond the three years and we have to partner with municipalities. It's a long-term business. You can't, it's a capital program. And DOT, about 70% of what DOT does is capital related, you know, trying to actual do those projects. So, um, so yeah, that was, uh, you know, the, the, the way I feel is that it's not talked about very much anymore, but there was some bipartisan wisdom at both the federal and state level, and they stepped up and delivered. So now it's time for Maine DOT and our production partners to step up and deliver for the people of Maine. So it's uh, it's good news. It feels like we, sh we pivoted from making do to making real progress. And that's, uh, I think this work plan reflects that. Commissioner, give us some, I know that there are dozens and dozens of projects, but name a few, some of the big ones, people around the state will be excited about. Well, uh, overall, um, this is a three-year plan. So all the numbers I'm about to give you are over three years. Um, there are 2,700 work items. It's not just capital projects. We try to show everything we do. 2,700. Um, Work items, yeah, and we do that because it's a lot of money. And the most common question I got as commissioner is, "That's a lot of money. Where does it all go?" Well, if you go onto maindot.gov and look up work plan, you can sort by your town and drill down and see what we've done and what we're doing. So, 2,700 work items totaling 4.74 billion over three years, or almost 1.6 billion per year. That's all sources of funding, federal, state. Uh, municipal contribution, even some private. Um, and of that broken down roughly, as people might expect in a rural state like Maine, um, it's got 70% of that money is generally highway and bridge system focus. Um, but a good solid 24% or 
well over a billion dollars is on what we call multimodal, you know, non-highway modes. Um, and that includes things like aviation, that includes uh, transit, it includes uh, rail, both freight and passenger, it includes active transportation, trails, sidewalks, those kinds of things, and of course, ports and marine uh, as well. And that totals another 24% uh, or 1.1 billion. So that gives you the, the big picture. And if people are doing math out there, that only adds up to 94%. Well, we have some system management administration that you want to add up to the final six um, percent. And in terms of projects, you, you're right. And capital projects is over a thousand. So it's really tough. I, I have trouble picking, you know, the most important project is generally the one in your town or the one that connects you to something. So it's always, it's always hard, but kind of just geographically, you know, kind of going around the state. Um, there's a downtown revitalization partnership with Sanford that's in this work plan. Uh, we're we doing work with Biddeford, the Portland International Marine Terminal in Portland uh, has a very significant project uh, for, for reefer stacker, you know, uh, reefers to, for frozen fish and other uh, things that affect a lot more than just there. Um, North Wyndham has a, if you're driven through North Wyndham, there's a big project there. Um, it's not, that's kind of an example of what you do if you don't plan ahead. It just kind of grew and now they're talking about putting some backage roads there that allow people to kind of shop and live and work on a pedestrian scale, whereas the main thing will be more regional traffic. So that's part of our village initiative that we try to revitalize the villages for years. We spent all our time making sure you can get there from here. Now with this discretionary money, we can also make the here and there a place you wanna be. Um, so we're working municipalities on that and those are exciting. Um, you head up the, you head up at the coast, and we're trying to do the first um, big electric ferry in Lincolnville that will go out to Islesboro. Um, we're also fixing rail lines and uh, big I ninety five bridge in the Waterville area. We keep heading north, and we Bangor. We have uh, commuter connector bus storage facility, which is huge because it will allow them to convert to electric buses eventually because you need the charging. Big runway work at the airport up in um, Bangor. And uh, you keep going north and we're doing the the only new alignment project really that's in the project is uh, Presque Isle, southerly end of a bypass that was permitted over 12 years ago, but we had no money to do it until the bill and so we're completing um, that kind of connection there. And we're doing a whole bunch of further work in the county on Route 1 and Frenchville and Van Buren. And, and there's stuff out west on Route 27. There's stuff down east on Route 1, Cherryfield to Milford. So I'm just kind of going over my head. I think I've hopped around the map pretty good, but it's just... <laughs> Whether you go to Kittery to Madawaska or you're from Bridgeton to Bridgewater, you know, we, everything, transportation affects everybody and this work plan affects everybody. 
Well, we are speaking with Maine Department of Transportation Commissioner Bruce Van Note. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we back, come back, some of your questions for him. This is Maine Calling. Welcome back. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and this is Maine Calling. Today on the program, we're talking about Maine's transportation plan and priorities. With me, Bruce Van Note, who is Commissioner of the Maine Department of Transportation. Share your comments and questions. Send an email to talk at mainepublic.org comment on Facebook or Instagram or give us a call at 1-800-399-3566. Commissioner, before we go to calls, I want to mention that I, I scanned through the plan. I can't say I read it completely. I don't have that kind of time, but um, I will say I did notice that a lot of projects to replace culverts. That seems to be a very large priority in this plan. It is. And again, this is uh there's always been a municipal cover program uh, that was administered through DEP. Um, you get a twofer for culverts. Uh, one, just the basic infrastructure, making sure you can handle the water that we have seen so much of lately. Um, road building basically is, is linear water management. I mean, that's it's all about the water and uh, culverts are a big part of that. Um, so it helps your infrastructure, but it also helps fish passage and other aquatic organisms. And there were, under the bill, grant programs, and we got roughly $30 million um, under that. Uh, so, yes, there is. And those are organized by Watershed to uh, focus on fish passage. But while we're doing it, the infrastructure gets stronger. So. I think that travelers will see a couple things, or the main people see a couple things from that. One, uh, they won't see the culvert washout uh, next big storm. But then I suspect in a few years there'll be new secret fishing holes it's, uh, starting to jump up because the fish have gotten places where they haven't been able to get before. And so th that's a twofer, you know, uh, reliable transportation and uh, a core you know, a, a core pastime that defines Maine. So yeah, culverts sound boring, but when you start thinking about reliable transportation, good fishing is not too bad. I'm going to go to an email from Christina. I would like to ask if the Department of Transportation would locate the planned wind port on Mac Point, already industrialized, rather than Sears Island, a much visited environmental treasure. Many people besides myself would be interested in the answer. So an update on MDOT's involvement in the um, offshore wind farm that's um, long been in the planning process. Yeah, that shows a good example of how what we do, you know, just the teamwork between all the various commissioners on the administration. Uh, this is obviously um, addressing uh, climate, um, the, uh, the offshore, floating offshore wind industry has the opportunity to not only, you know, help save the planet, um, but also create a, an entirely new industry in Maine, which is not a sentence I think I've ever said. Um, so it's a very big deal. Um, everything about it is uh, big. Uh, the economic potential, the environmental benefits, um, and our role is, okay, none of this happens unless you have a wind marshalling port that allows you to have stuff delivered, stuff manufactured, and literally going to build uh, these structures at this port 
uh, some on land and then launched and then assembled in the water and then towed out. Um, huge opportunity. If, if we if we can come together and realize it, it will be the biggest thing I ever work on. I mean, in terms of, you know, I do thousands of projects because in terms of transformational value, it will be the biggest thing I ever associated with. Uh, the siting um, decision is still in process. We're not, we, we're not ready to announce anything today. Um, uh, I understand there's a core group of people say Mac Point is the place to go. Uh, Sears Island also has distinct uh, advantages. And just so everyone's clear, we're only talking about the portion of Sears Island that was reserved specifically for port development years ago. Uh, Two thirds of the island will remain in conservation. So, um, And Bruce, when will that decision it, be announced? Do you know? I don't know specifically, but um, well, it won't be final until we have a permit and a regulator tells us probably next year sometime that it, you know, that uh, it has to be the least environmentally damaging practicable alternative. That's a term of art in permitting world. But um, the elements of that, it has to be practical. In other words, it's got to do the job. It's got to do what you need it to do. And then it's got to be least environmentally damaging. That's a that's a conclusion that federal and regulators will make later. But I think there'll be a, um, you know, to, in order to file a permit and get to the place where that regulatory process uh, gears up, um, I would expect within a couple of months or sometime in that time frame, uh, people will have an indication of which direction the state believes is is the way to go. Um, but in the meantime, we'll continue to do the analysis and listen to people like the your caller and take that all under advisement. But it's just not quite ripe yet. An email here from Stephen. I strongly applaud Maine DOT's initiative of installing solar arrays at exit 109 of I-95 in Augusta to provide renewable energy for the Capitol complex with more arrays planned for exit 112 in the Augusta airport. Can you share performance results? Also, why has the department not publicized the forward-thinking exit 109 project with a large MDOT sign on the site? And are there plans to install more solar arrays? Well, I appreciate the call. Um, just know we got a lot of uh, comments uh, on a different end of the spectrum about those very, <laughs> still the same arrays. Um, we did think um, uh, we we cleared we cleared the those for um, safety reasons. We had some dead trees and we didn't want animals, so we cleared for a different reason: basic, boring highway safety reasons. Um, but I use them every, most every day and, uh, noticed that had great sun. And so we, we just literally looked into it. And, uh, so the whole, um, arrays that the caller talked about, um, kind of came opportunist, opportunity, uh, it was a good opportunity. Sorry. I was tripping over my words there. And, uh, um, the, we know Already, um, we didn't spend any real estate money the way these deals work, other than the fencing that the city of Augusta asked for. Um, they wanted a certain kind of fencing, and we stepped up for that. It's done by developers, and it's a long-term savings that the state of Maine will be getting in reduced uh, electricity bills for years and years. So 
Um, it, it was significant. I, I mean, it was millions of dollars and I don't have it at the tip of my tongue, but it was, it was a no brainer in terms of whether you do it financially. Um, but what we did learn from that is, um, you know, even if it's in the federal interstate highway, that's kind of within clearly our jurisdiction, uh, we'll do a little bit more public communication, let people know what's coming. I think uh, the, I know that the town officials know, but we'll have to do better with that. Uh, and we will. Um, but to me, it's just a, it's a way of thinking out of the box and uh, doing something that helps both the environment and the the budget. All Are at there the same more time. planned? So, none right now, um, but we, uh, we look interchanges in those areas. The thing that was, well, actually fortunate, the power grid connection is a key piece of it. You can't just, hey, I want to do it here. It's whether it can fit into the grid. And that one worked. All, all we did is I, just, I, I actually asked people smarter than me. I said, can you just check and see whether we, we can do this? Not thinking that we could because of the grid connection, it turns out, yeah, we can. So we will uh, consider, um, look for other opportunities to do it. Um, but when we do it, we will be uh, more communicative to the whole world so they know what's coming. We'll go to Carol calling from Raymond. Hi, Carol, go ahead. Hi, um, I live in Raymond and I took the bus. There were about a dozen of us. Carol, is the way is there a way you can be louder or clearer? Can you put your um, mouth closer to the microphone on the phone? Go ahead. Um, yes. Um, uh, the base in Raymond, um, the lake bus um, that drove through the town of Raymond and stopped there, stopped at the Sunset Market, has been discontinued. About a dozen of us are wishing we still had the bus. Sure, Carol. I'm, we're still having trouble with your audio, but I think you're talking about bus service in the town of Raymond that has been discontinued. Um, Commissioner Van Note, do you know anything about that? Um, I didn't know it had been discontinued. Uh, so the, the exact access, I'm aware of the line. We work with uh, 15 transit providers that provide you know, bus service all over the state, and it's generally implemented at that level. Um, you know, we don't run the services our, ourselves, so I, I'm not up to date on the, the latest um, services, but I do know on a macro level that um, providing transit is uh, something we are very seriously looking at. I mean, it, especially in the higher density areas where there's more people, um, you have an equity obligation just to provide that. They're, not everybody has a car, and you have to provide um, transportation uh, for people to be able to get to work. Um, it's not widely known, but a lot of transportation for like doctor's appointment is actually coordinated through DHHS with uh, federal uh, Medicaid, Medicare money. Um, but we are interested uh, and are doing, um, have instituted new inner city bus service from Bangor. We're doing it in Lewiston, Auburn. And we're looking to do it in the greater Portland area. So whether this bus service um, is affected by those studies, um, I'll have to find out. But uh, I apologize right now to 
Carol and everybody else. If you if you're not being served, we're going to try to find a way to serve you. Carol, thanks for your call. Um, we're going to move to Popham Beach and Lila. Hi, Lila. Go ahead. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning, Bruce. A quick question. The recent storms just destroyed the road that goes down through the village of Popham over to Fort Popham. And so my question is, do you already have it on your schedule for your department to work with the Department of Parks to get that road fixed? Because uh, Popham Beach, the state park and Fort Popham are two of the most busy parks in the season in the state of Maine. Yeah, it's been I, I know the area well, as you, as you know, Isla, and uh, I don't have a specific on that, but there's no question. I saw the pictures of it and was jaw dropping, you know, of uh, down beyond, certainly down beyond spinnies and down to the foot. It just um, huge amount of damage that water definitely got to levels we hadn't seen before. And um, so I know it will be a uh, top priority. We know the importance of that entire um you know the fort the beach is to the economy and uh, and just all the people live down there so i'm uh, sorry i don't have a um specific plan to um let you know about today but i i don't have any doubt we'll have that open uh as soon as possible Lila, thanks so much for your call. We are speaking with Maine Department of Transportation Commissioner Bruce Van Note. Our phone number, 1-800-399-3566. You can, if you're quick, send a brief email to talk at mainepublic.org or comment or Facebook or Instagram. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Jennifer Rooks. You're listening to Maine Calling. Today, we are learning about Maine's three-year transportation work plan and what to expect in your part of the state. My guest, Maine Department of Transportation Commissioner, Bruce Van Node. Again, if you're quick, you can join the conversation. 1-800-399-3566, our email address, talk at mainepublic.org. Um, you know, we have several questions, Commissioner, about planning for sea level rise. And people can, who are concerned that it seems as though the standard is to plan for a four foot um, sea level rise. And I'm wondering if you can address that and whether that's really enough. Well, um, that's one of those things that I'm glad there are people smarter than me that are setting those standards, but that was all part of the climate action plan. And uh, the four foot rise uh, was intended to get you to uh, 2100. Anytime you, the year 2100, um, anytime you're predicting the future, it's a difficult endeavor. And um, I think the latest was planned for a foot and a half by 2050, four feet by uh, 2100. And uh, yeah, there are some models and some people that say, geez, you really ought to plan on, you know, eight, nine feet or something. Um, at some point, you have to take the all the information and come up with a pragmatic, what can you actually accomplish kind of thing. So for us on our, our bridges, for example, we're looking at uh, raising as much as possible. Every time you do that, by the way, if you're in a village setting, imagine the bridge in front of your house going up four feet or and you're now below it and those kinds of things. So these aren't easy things to do. Um, but in general, we're trying to uh, add four feet um, even every wharf or anything that washed out four feet is not going to be an easy standard to make nine feet 
that's a whole story. That's a whole story of a house and that that will be uh, real challenging. So the standards that we have are trying to shoot for at least a foot and a half to four feet. Um, we are trying to build our bridges so that we actually plan that if we have to jack them up later, you can do that 100 years from now or, you know, um, 70 years from now. So that's what we're doing on the transportation mode. But I certainly understand if you own a piece of waterfront property, what are you what are you supposed to do? Um, I'd be going as high as you can um, and still be able to use and enjoy your property. So Yeah, so that's really interesting. So designing bridges today so that they can be uh, jacked up in the future as opposed to having to be torn down and rebuilt. That's new. Well, it, it won't be. It won't be easy, but um, I mean, it'll still be a big job when you're doing it 70 years from now. But just think about how all the pieces come together. So you could you know maybe you can disconnect this and, and add. So it's new. Um, we're not doing it uh, everywhere, but it's the kind of thing that one thing at DOT, we adapt and we learn how to still keep Maine moving. And that's just one of the ways we're looking at things now in a, a world of uh, sea level rise. We're going to go to Peter calling from East Booth Bay. Hi, Peter. Go ahead. Hi, Jennifer. Thank you, Commissioner. We had a related problem. We lost a couple of roads out here, Ocean Point and Sanaset. And if they get rebuilt at the same height that they're at now, they're just going to wash away again, e even today after they've been rebuilt with gravel and rubble and a little bit of riprap the storms that have come in where the gravel is still exposed, they've eroded in the past week. Is the state going to be involved in situations that are municipal to help us redesign for the coming tide? That is uh, still uh, in discussion. Uh, as you indicate, there are, there's 23,000 public road miles in the state of Maine. Uh, that doesn't include private roads. Um, I think you add those in, there's like 35,000. And the state generally has jurisdiction over 8,800 of them. Um, so a lot of the damage, right, especially right along the coast, because that tends to be like your third or fourth turn and you're going down a peninsula road that does tend to be municipal. Um, I know that uh, MEMA and uh, uh, trying to access uh, federal funding um, to uh, Try to respond to that. So I'm sure your municipality has already uh, put in um, claims for what what they feel they need, um, and that's the best route to go right now. Uh, but right now we don't have a a whole pot of money uh, intended to be going to roads um, to address this. Although, I mean, I know the main coast pretty well. I know the area you talked about, and uh, I certainly understand. Um, why you're asking and um, you're essentially being a good engineer. Why would I just build something? How are we going to make this more adaptable and resilient? So um, it's going to take more than DOT. It's going to be a, a, a bigger effort at probably the state and uh, federal level to try to deal with that. Maine has one of the longest coastlines in the whole country. And um, so um, luckily it's not all low-lying, a lot of it's rock-bound coast kind of stuff. Um, but when you got the road snaking right along the water, and we have plenty of them, uh, there are going to be challenges. So um, uh, 
to be determined, but I certainly get the issue and was still figuring out on a policy level how to respond. Peter, thanks for your call. An email here from Andrea. DOT paved most of Route 1 in Washington County from Harrington through Callis, except for the worst part of Route 1 in Columbia, from Elmer's Country Store to Tipplestown Road. Driving on it shakes the entire car. When will it be paved? This is one of those. I'm, sometimes it's the labeling. I know we have a Route 1 piece um, that is... I'm trying to make sure it's the right one in the cherry field area. Flipping through pieces of paper as you talk, yeah. Yeah, I'm still trying to find it, and I can't put Columbia my hand on it. To Tibblestown Road, yeah. Yeah, the I'm I'm sorry. There's a thousand there's a there's a thousand projects in here, and I um, know uh, a lot of them, but I don't have the answer to that question. But I would suggest if you go on to main dot work plan and you type in the municipality you'll be able to see if it's in this three-year work plan and if it's not we have some planners or division offices be willing to talk to you to find out why that is and maybe there's something we can do about it so all right we'll go to john who's calling from gorham hi john go ahead yes uh my question kind of is matches the question from the guy who is talking about the erosion in the municipal in the in the towns and in the is it true that if a town is if it's a state controlled road a numbered road through it through towns before any uh changes can be made to that road concerning traffic control or speeding or uh in, installing traffic lights it has to get approval from the uh, uh, Department of Transportation because that's the excuse that they keep using when they don't want to uh, uh, provide those services. So does the Department of Transportation have to approve everything or does are the towns just uh, using that as, a, that as an excuse? John, when you mean traffic control, do you mean things like speed bumps and traffic uh, uh stoplights no, no, no i'm just talking i'm just talking i'm just talking about installing uh uh traffic lights in uh areas that, are, that need the traffic lights but not necessarily speed bumps or anything just regular traffic control okay. rather than yeah. any improvements to the surface so commissioner state route in a town do you have to have state control to install traffic traffic light well i wish it was a straightforward answer but in general <laughs> Um, there are all kinds of road classifications, and by the way, the numbering alone won't won't take care of it. But in general, if you're talking uh, the main drag through that has a state black on white number, uh, it generally is at least a state or a state aid road. And traffic lights in general um, uh, on such roads do require that certain warrants are met. Um, because you have to balance two things. There are people who um, live in that town and would like everything to slow right down. And by the way, you do need to slow down at human scale when you got pedestrians. I totally get that. Um, but then there are in between roads where it's kind of like, well, no, it feels like uh, this is serving more regional traffic, but we'd still like to slow it down. And we have to think about statewide. So these things are, uh, in general, the answer to the question is yes, DOT is involved when traffic lights are generally put on on state numbered routes, but that does not mean 
um, that it can't happen. In fact, we have a planning partnership initiative and a village partnership initiative where municipalities can try to revision their downtown and lower speed areas about how they could be more pedestrian friendly. And uh, if it requires more than that, you actually have to start thinking about moving curbs or what you want to do with bike lanes or sidewalks. Uh, that's bigger money, but with the federal bill, you can go after federal discretionary funding and uh, try to do those things. So um, I prefer not to say it's all state or all local and areas like that. It tends to have to be a partnership. That's why it's called Village Partnership Initiatives. So, Thanks, John, for your call. I'm going to go to an email here from Amy. Amy writes, I wonder if the full 360 degree scope of benefits is looked at when planning mass transit. The environment, access to work, education and healthcare, better health from reduced emissions and freeing up personal finance for things other than cars should make it the obvious choice. Um, those things are all looked at, but they're all looked at locally too. These things again are done um, generally for transit providers um, and people uh, don't know, um, but uh, the, the fares you pay on transit, if you collect 30% of the operating costs, you're doing well. It, it's often less than that. So you do have to think of the financial aspects. I, t I agree with um, if you have eventually electric powered transit and have, and those are full, uh, those are no brainers. Those aren't, I get it. Um, but it's not simple and requires a lot of people coming together um, in order to make those things happen. And DOT is a part of those conversations with local transit providers and uh, local municipalities. Um, so I uh, understand Amy's question and uh, those benefits are considered, but it doesn't always end up no brainer for all the policymakers that are looking at it, which include local officials. We'll go to John, who's calling from Lincolnville. Hi, John. Go ahead. Yeah, hi, Jennifer. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, um, you know, with all this going on in terms of the damage uh, from this last storm, maybe talking about aesthetics is not quite the right time. But I have a concern about uh, some of the projects that uh, DOT does. I know their engineering is probably top-notch. I'm not an engineer, but it all looks uh, very safe and well done to me. But uh, sometimes there seems to be... a uh, uh, lack of concern for aesthetics. Um, and so I'm wondering, uh, well, I think about Wiscass, excuse me, about Wiscasset, where um, the, uh, the traffic control situation there was pretty bad. And, but what happened as a result of that, uh, well, it really kind of changed the, the look of Wiscasset in a pretty big way with the lights, big, huge lights and signs and so forth. Um, so anyway, I, I wonder if there are any uh, where aesthetics comes into play and if there are landscape designers or even artists that, that are on staff that on some projects can have some sure. in terms of Sure, aesthetic. Commissioner. We actually do have landscape architects on staff and I know them um, well. Um, we, we have um, where you're at slower, um, what I call human scale. Uh, we do think of those things. If you, if you have an interstate bridge uh, with no people around, most people are looking for the most cost-effective way to get across whatever you're getting across. And I know, John, that's not what you're talking about. But if you look at some of the projects we've done, whether it's our village project, if you look at 
Hollowell, a Belgrade village, you go up 302 and look what we did in Naples or um, Bridgeton, I think most would agree that we were thinking aesthetics at the time. And the best way to um, implement or the scenic turnouts when you head up Route 17 or, or in the Western Mountains, those are all designed by uh, landscape architects that are trying to leverage the natural beauty of this this state. So, um, and I personally have been involved in stuff because I do believe, um, I do believe transportation infrastructure can be pretty and uh, you wanna think about that. Um, and so, uh, yes, and the best way to do that is if a town wants to engage in that kind of thing would be to contact our planning department and say, hey, we wanna engage in a visioning and village partnership initiative um, as to what, what we could do to make your particular village a place again we're not just worried about getting there from here we're trying to make the here and there a place you want to be uh, john thanks for your call commissioner we have about 45 seconds left um give people some guidance as they look at this three-year plan what, what's the lens you'd like them to look through well it's just a uh, tip o'neill used to say all politics is local i know all transportation is local so um you can get on and you can see local but if you have the time there's an introduction there that goes through kind of by mode and tries to give you the big picture of what we're trying to accomplish. And um, I understand few people are going to do that, but if you're into that kind of stuff, it's there. And uh, the last thing I just want to do is it, um, I, I'm fortunate to work with 1600 people who really care about the state and really try to make Maine a better place every day. They work in every day when you're home in bed at 2, 2 a.m. and freezing rains out there, you got 400 state plow trucks up there trying to make your life better. So I'm proud to be associated with them, proud to present this work plan. Well, Bruce Van Node is Maine's Commissioner of the Department of Transportation. Thanks so much for joining us again. Today's sound engineer, Jane Donahue, and Maine Calling is produced by Jonathan Smith and Cindy Hahn. Tomorrow on the program, we're doing one of our passions and pastimes programs, and we're looking at toboggan racing and the championship coming up in Camden this weekend. I'm Jennifer Rooks, and you have been listening to Maine Calling on Maine Public Radio.